Hi, and welcome to the Believe in the Land Show. My name is Andy Billman. Let's take a look back at the week that was in Cleveland sports. Very sad week for all of us Clevelanders, as one of the great legends who represented our town for such a long time, Jim Brown, passed away on Friday this week. And it's not just a normal week because of it. Uh, he was the face of the franchise. He was really the face of the city for a long time. Whenever, you know, whenever something big would happen, Jim Brown would be there. In 16, we saw Jim Brown all over the Cavaliers, as we should. I mean, he really represented us as a city, even deeper than just playing for the Browns. But, you know, the obvious when we when I heard he when I heard he passed away was gosh I hope we appreciated him enough before he was gone. Jim had been sick for the past few months, hadn't really seen him, didn't really see him last year, and it was really I mean it really hit me hard when I heard I'm sure it hit a lot of Browns fans hard, not just me but many others. I mean he really represented a time and a period in an organization that at times we don't feel so proud for. I mean, this has been a very rough stretch in a fandom that was a very once proud organization in the 50s and then the 60s. And even in the 80s, even with horrible losses, the Browns were a very proud organization. But really, since the move, when the team left and went to Baltimore and the new expansion team came to Cleveland, it's, it's not been easy. It's been very hard to rebuild. And it, and it kind of feels like, in fact, that we never really have gotten back to what we know as the Browns. At least I don't feel that way. And that's for a different podcast, but we definitely have had a hard time accepting that the Browns that we grew up with and the Browns for the older generations that won big are just not here. And in fact, they have a very hard time getting out of the starting blocks most times, and they are a laughingstock when I was growing up in the 80s. The Browns were looked at fondly, and they were seen as a cool team to cheer for. And my gosh, that's certainly opposite now. So when Jim Brown died, kind of that, it's another, it's another, it's another, I don't know what the, how to describe it, but it's another piece of that Browns historic, we'll call it shield, that's kind of gone away. When the Browns were bad, when the Browns weren't very good, you always knew you could turn to Jim Brown to kind of make us feel better. You could watch the highlights. You would see him on commercials still. You would see him, I mean, really in the 80s and 90s, in the early 2000s, Jim Brown was still everywhere. And he really fought for what was right with black athletes. He fought hard to get equal pay for black and white athletes, for black athletes to equal the pay for white athletes. He fought hard against segregation, one integration. And Paul and you know Paul Brown really accepted Jim Brown um, as as a running back, loved him. Obviously, they did not have a great relationship in the in the middle of their careers. Paul ended up getting fired, I think, because of that. Many other factors too, but big part of it is because Jim and Paul weren't getting along. But you know, Jim and Paul. I think really represent the old Browns. There's Otto Graham and there's others, but obviously Paul Brown does because he gave the name to the team and because he really built the organization from scratch. 
But if there was a number 1A, 1B, 1A is Paul and 1B is Jim and Jim's gone. A large piece of the history that is the Cleveland Browns is no longer with us. A large piece of successfulness is no longer here. He was kind of represented the championship in 64. He was the face of it, as he should be. He was a star player. Excellent player. I mean, you just don't come into the NFL as a running back and have a nine-time Pro Bowl. Think about that. Nine-time Pro Bowl, eight-time um, All-Pro. In his first year in the league in 57, Brown not only won Rookie of the Year, he also won MVP of the league. That's how good Jim Brown was. When he came onto the scene, he was instantaneously a star. Never missed a game. Never did. Did not miss one game in Cleveland as a running back. Even in the 50s and 60s, that's not normal. That's just how talented he was. That's just how good the man was. And he was good. And he was a good player. And he was a winner. He remains the only individual to be elected into the college football, lacrosse, and pro football hall of fame. Many lacrosse people will tell you there is not a better player than Jim Brown. A lot of people will tell you who watch the NFL, who follow it, who vote on such things. He is most often the first person that gets mentioned. The first person gets mentioned into any all NFL team of all time, as he should. He was voted among writers in the end of the century as the as one of the top four athletes ever. And he played for the Cleveland Browns. And he was dominant. And he was consistently great. Think about that. Sometimes for the Browns, we can't even get a player to be consistently, we can't even get a player to be consistently average. For the Browns, Jim Brown was consistently great. He was never a player that did took a game off. He was never a player that did the incorrect did the in, shut the door, did the incorrect things with the team. He was always elite, always a leader, always, always winning games. You can lean on Jim Brown. And Jim's legacy is obviously one that extends far past Cleveland, as I said. He is a big part of the African-American athlete movement. He's a big part of the movement of the civil rights era in the 60s. Jim was out there front-facing, defending what was right, integrating this country, trying to get what is right for, for, his, for all people of society. Jim was always out there in front of what was going on, trying to get things right, doing the right thing. And really at a time where obviously it was not popular to do such things, Jim was always there making sure to get people to hear what he had to say. Jim was his own man, as we all know. Jim was a man who never, never had a problem coming across as brash, coming across sometimes as not likable, Coming across the times maybe being too tough. Jim never had a problem with that. Jim had no problem speaking his mind. Jim had no problem giving a good opinion. Jim also had no problem leading men. 
something that really struck me when I was reading through his career and something that really took took me to get a better understanding of maybe what, how good he was. He led the Browns and was very successful at it. He is the last leader of the organization we root for, the Cleveland Browns, to take them to a championship. He only won one, but he won one. And boy, was he a bulldozer. He was so good. And he, again, even so good, it's not the proper term. He really was that word elite. There will never be another Jim Brown. There's nothing even comparable to anything to him. Jim was that good and that consistently great. And he really is what made us Browns fans, I think, so fond of the running back. I also think it's the reason why we love Jim Brown. You know, Jim Brown kind of represents our organization that we cheer for. Plays hard. Never runs out of bounds. Always trying to win the game. This game's become very analytical. This game's become very sometimes scientific. And yes, it's a different game than it was today. We all know. But Jim played a game that was for toughness, leadership, and knowing what had to get done to win the game. He represents Cleveland so well. Blue-collar feel. Giving the best effort. Always putting your hard hat on. Never taking a day off. Getting up and standing up and doing what you need to do to become successful. Hopefully, the current Cleveland Browns take note of this. This is not just another passing athlete. This is not just another athlete that has lost their lives and needs to be remembered and honored. This is a huge, humongous loss for the city, for the Browns. 32 is that big and maybe bigger. You know, sometimes a team, there's always something we like to call motivation or something to strive for. And obviously you want to win as an athlete. You never want to lose. You want to win. But for the Browns, sometimes maybe they, they need motivation, they need a target. Well, win this for Jim. Time to win for Jim. The Browns need to start taking up the Jim Brown appetite from the front office to the field. Jim cared about one thing, winning games. Jim cared about one thing, playing the game the right way. Jim cared about one thing. How do I get the ball into the end zone? How do I get the clock to double zero with a W on the board for the city of Cleveland? And sometimes as fans, I don't know if we quite feel that way as we do for the Browns today as we did back then for Jim Brown. The Browns are going to have a very hard time ever, ever getting back a player like that, and they probably never will. But the one thing the Browns can do and they should do is watch Jim Brown, listen to Jim Brown, and take note of Jim Brown. Jim Brown represented a large part of this fandom.
he is a huge loss to the city. Hard to make up. Hard to replicate. Never to be replicated. And to me, a big part of the Glory Day Browns got put buried into the past again with his passing. The Browns need to find what made this town love the Browns. Hopefully they can rally around the idea of winning this for Jim. Again, I hate every athlete, every team should be always motivated to win. But maybe they need more motivation now they have one. Huge loss for the city. Huge loss for the Browns organization. Huge loss for football. Jim Brown died on Friday, May 19th, at the age of 87. We come back to Cleveland Guardians. Welcome back to the Believe in the Land show. My name is Andy Billman. So the Guardians, who I'm proudly wearing here today, the red, white, and blue, are proud Guardians, had a terrible week. Um, gut punch. Um, it's one thing to have a week where you go one and five, and it's only May, and you say, okay, we can pick up the pieces and uh, move on. You know, to lose two out of three in Chicago, you don't want to do that. It's a division opponent. You don't want to waste those games. But you did take one, and you kind of move on your way. And that's kind of what I felt after the Chicago series. The one against the Mets, not in the same, you know, not even the same league, certainly not in the same division. That was painful. The, the series in Queens was very very gut-wrenching. All games were lost by one run. It was a sweep. The Guardians had the lead late in every ball game. They actually had the lead in the 10th in extra innings. They had the leads in the 8th inning of both games on Sunday and could not hang on to the lead. Actually, not. I'm sorry. They had the lead in the eighth inning on Sunday, game one, and in game two they were up. They were up uh, past the fifth inning. Couldn't hold the lead, and they lost all games. Friday was an absolute backbreaker. Backbreaker. And here's why. It's one thing to lose ten to nine on the road. That is going to happen in a baseball season. No team is immune to not having a walk-off defeat. It's going to happen in baseball. Just too many games. But to have that happen against an ex-teammate like Francisco Lindor, who really represented the Guardians in the you know early 2000 teens, through the World Series season 16, 17. 16 was the World Series year 17. They lost the Yankees. Horrible, horrible, horrible loss, but that's for another podcast another time. So the Guardians had opportunities this weekend to take some revenge on Francisco Lindor. He left. He made it very clear on the way out he did not want to come back to Cleveland. Financial, yes, but I thought he made it pretty clear he didn't want to come back because he wanted to go to New York, wanted to go to a big market. He made that pretty clear. I didn't think it was like a, you know, sometimes there's nice exits from players. Um, 
Francisco Lindor to me was not a clean exit. And he won on Friday with a game-winning single. And on Sunday in game two of the doubleheader, game three of the series, Francisco Lindor hit the home run to tie the game and later hit the single that put the runner on third that eventually came home to score in the eighth inning. Francisco Lindor also started the game-winning double play in the ninth to end the game. Francisco Lindor broke the backs of Guardians fans. Broke my back as a fan, and it was annoying to see. I don't want to see Francisco Lindor doing well for another team. I don't like how he left. I don't care for his attitude. I don't like him. I don't have to like him. Do, why would I like him as a, as a person, on a personal level? Of course. He's a human. But this is fandom. This is sports. I don't like the guy. Sorry. I don't have to like the guy. I'm not going to like the guy. But that game on Friday was back-breaking. To be up 7-3 to three with Josh Naylor carrying the team with five RBIs into the seventh inning. Bottom of the seventh. Here we go. Here we go. Sam Hedges, 7-3, giving you the ball. Just took control of this game. They were up 5-0. Quantrill had a shaky couple innings, but he kept the lead at 5-3. Naylor tacked on some runs in the seventh inning. Here we go. 7-3. The Guardians were back in control of the game. Hinges couldn't get an out. Bases were loaded. Mets everywhere. Hadn't scored, but Mets everywhere. And then a f- big mistake from Mr. Francona. And I love Terry. I met him. He's a good man. He's a great manager. Every great manager has mistakes. We all do. His error to put in James Karinczak in with the bases loaded was a grave mistake. Karinczak hasn't pitched well all year. Karinczak hasn't done well in these kind of situations, frankly, in his career. He's good in a clean inning. He's good to bring in in situations where you can say, hey, I see you. I want you to come into a situation in the, in a clean inning and you can get three outs. He can do that in past, past appearances again. But they brought him in in a situation in a season where he's giving up big home runs and big blasts. And what does James Karinczak do? Exactly what you thought he was going to do. He gives up a meatball right across the middle, and it was hit hard by Pete Alonso. Tie game. Horrible mistake by Terry Francona. Back-breaking. Back-breaking. You all of a sudden created all this goodwill. You all of a sudden created all this momentum. And in one snap of the finger, game was tied. And it was that quick. Tied seven. Tenth inning, George Arias hits a home run. Nine, seven Guardians. Even then, I'm like, okay, with all the garbage that happened in the seventh inning, at least the Guardians found a way to get this win. At least they found a way to get a victory. But a loss. Manuel Classe comes in, who has been struggling. 
who is not as crisp. In 2022, Emmanuel Class A was elite. We do not have Emmanuel Class A from last year. We currently have a pitcher who is really struggling to find things. And he struggles continued. Woefully so on Friday night. He had a hard time getting outs. Couldn't get guys out. Alvarez, rookie, gets a big single, ties the game. And then Frankie Lindor, game-winning single, game over. Back. Breaking. Any team in sports, and especially in baseball, can't absorb too many of these losses. Sunday game one of the doubleheader. Guardians looked lifeless, down 3 nothing. Max Scherzer pitching a gem. Mets put in the bullpen, and the bullpen unravels very quickly. Finally, some life. Quan gets on. They score a run earlier in the inning because of a mile straw ground out of the score to run. Quan gets on. And Ahmed Rosario, bloop single. Here we go. Three to two with Jose Ramirez up. And he made a mistake to Jose, and Jose hit it out. Hit it a BB out. Game, it goes to four to three. Here we go. Here we go. Here's a chance to bounce back. What an excellent opportunity to bounce back. Trevor Steffen. Okay, he's clean. Hasn't pitched this weekend. Steffen doesn't even get an out before Starling Marte hits a two-run home run to give up the lead. I mean, that is back-breaking. Friday was horrific. Horrific. I lost my cool. Didn't like it. Sunday for Game 2 of the series was just a, a wow, pile driver of pain. 5-4, Mets get the outs, they take Game 1. Guardians now are reeling. I mean, they are on the ropes. Sunday night, Bieber, Verlander. J-Ram gets another home run to take the lead. God, J-Ram and Naylor were trying their hardest to win this series. Get a win. Just get one win. Guardians offense is in a sleeper hold the rest of the game. Really did nothing else the rest of the game. And Bieber was pitching, but just dodging trouble. But he was dodging it. He was not in real trouble. And then he made, I wouldn't even call it a mistake, but he left a pitch a little high. It wasn't high as in, you know, high here, but he was trying to throw a, a ball into the dirt, trying to throw something low in the ground. It stayed up. And as we know, Francisco Lindor, as he did against the Yankees in the playoffs, loves to bend down to hit the ball out. And that's what he did. He bended his knees. He got up on the ball and it got out. Tie game. Because there's no faith in the bullpen, I don't even blame Francona at this point. He sticks with Bieber. Bieber looked tired, but I don't think he had a choice because he doesn't believe in his bullpen anymore. We'll get to that in a second. Bieber gives up multiple hits, one of them for Cisco Landor. Sack fly game is now won by the Mets. They close it out in the ninth because the Guardians have no offense. In this game, they had no offense. 2-1, 
Another backbreaker. Wow. Wow. I would not underplay these games and these losses. These were not... Uh, you, if you would get three losses the way they had them, especially to an ex-teammate, it is back-breaking. I think the Guardians are going to have a very hard time recovering this week. And they don't have time to recover. They need to win games. They need to beat the White Sox. They got to start winning games. But that was backbreaking. I think those are really, those are kind of losses that can string out a season. Those are the kind of losses that can really unravel a team very quickly. And there's now some real issues on the Guardians. And one of them we weren't even thinking about at the beginning of the week. But it's now here. And we've kind of seen signs throughout the year. So it's not too, it's not shocking, but it isn't something we were expecting. The bullpen is a mess now. It is an official mess. Class A is not the Class A from last year. He is average right now, and we can't have average. We've got to have elite Class A. This team lives on the edge. If you had the Class A from last year, Guardians would be okay. Guardians don't have that Class A. James Karinchak is just not good. I, 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 You cannot put him in a ball game right now to determine a game. Can't do it. Can't do it. How can you trust him? Can't. Can't trust him. Bad situation. James Karinchek is really concerning. Trevor Steffen doesn't seem to have big moments in big spots. Looks nervous. Doesn't pitch well in big moments. Those are your top cut three relievers from last year. And into this year. Class A's average. I don't know what you do with Karinchek. And Trevor Steffen, you got to be really careful because in tight situations, he doesn't pitch well. Hench just couldn't get anybody out on Friday. Eli Morgan is okay. Sandlin had a good week. Then you got Xavion Curry, who's a young puppy. Bullpen is a mess. Are you really confidently giving the ball to these pitchers today? And you're going to have to go to them. You have Hunter Gaddis on the mound today. The bullpen now is an official, official problem. And for a team that doesn't score runs, and for a team that needs to hold on to one-run leads, that is a problem that can sink your ship like that. That's why I'm worried. That's why I'm concerned. The bullpen is a major problem. It is a major concern. I don't believe in these guys right now. And I think that's very fair. They're going to have to show some things. You know, in baseball, not only do they pitch, they catch. There's a catcher behind the plate. That's problem number two. Guardians don't have a catcher. Bone Naylor is really young, really raw. You can tell. Needs time. Cam Gallagher is a backup at best. And Mike Zanino is just awful. They don't have a catcher. They're going to have to do something at catcher. And they need to be focusing on the bullpen right now because that's a bigger problem. But you got to have a catcher too. So now you don't have a reliable bullpen and you don't have someone – even if you get reliable arms in there or you get some strength from the bullpen, you don't have anybody to give you mental strength behind the plate. These two problems are connected. And these are the two biggest problems for the Guardians. They don't have a catcher currently on the roster. Don't have it. 
Andres Jimenez is not hitting is another big issue. He's only scored one run in the month of May. One run. They've got to get more out of Andres Jimenez. He was a big part of this engine last year. He has done nothing this month. He didn't. He got off to a slow start in May. I mean, I'm sorry. He got off to a slow start in April. It's gotten worse in the month of May. It's gotten significantly worse. Significantly worse. I don't even know how to describe it other than it is vomiting. They really need him. They really do. They really need him to pitch well. I mean, sorry, hit well. Andrews Jimenez hit well. They need him to hit well. Right field is another position to watch. Gabriel Arias is had a good week. I like him. I think he plays well. Does a nice job. Willie Brennan, I don't know. I, I like him, but they need something stronger than that right now. They need a power hitter. Naylor and Bell have first base locked up. I don't think you can touch those two for first base and DH. So they got to do something in the right field. Keep your eye on Miles Straw, too. He's got to start hitting more or playing elite defense. His defense is very good right now. It's not elite. He's got to get back to gold glove elite defense. Haven't really seen that this year. He's playing good defense. Don't get me wrong, but we need elite for him to be doing what he's doing in center field. The center field and right field positions are something you need to watch, too. Specifically, right field. They've got to get a booming bat. Need some positivity. Need some zip. The Guardians right now have no zip. The Guardians right now have no energy. Those game, These games are not fun, and there's no hope because you know the games are going to be tight. And unlike last year, you don't have a bullpen that can get you the win in a tight situation. It's a recipe for disaster. It might get worse. I'm going to repeat that. It might get worse from here. The hope is in Jose Ramirez, Stephen Kwan, Josh Naylor. Those guys are consistent. You know what you're getting there. The starting rotation with Beaver, Quantrill, McKenzie coming along soon. He'll be here soon. And your young guns and Bybee and Allen. They're good. They're good pitchers. The starting pitching has settled down. Thankfully, it's amazing. Out of all these issues of the injury, somehow the starting pitching is fine. And Zach Plesak's in Columbus. And the Guardians are still fine. It's, it, it, it's remarkable. Guardians are going to have to fix the bullpen, the catcher situation immediately. They have to hope Andres Jimenez finds it. I mean, they need him bad. And then right field is going to have to be examined on how to give this team a lift. There is hope in those players I mentioned. Jose Ramirez is a true MVP candidate. He's not going to be MVP candidate this year, but when the team's rolling and he's rolling, he is a very, very good player. Quan's a great, is a good leadoff hitter. And Naylor is your natural DH first baseman. He's good. He does the job. But there's a lot of holes to fill. And the bullpen and catcher situations are real problems. They're not light problems. And Andres Jimenez has to hit. You have to play him every day. And he's just not hitting. The schedule has really affected the Guardians. In the long term, this is actually going to be a good thing. But in the short term, it's really beating him up. This schedule where they lost 28 games with the Royals, 
Tigers, Twins, White Sox is taking its toll on this team. It's going to make them into a much better team next year and seasons beyond. It is not helping them right now. And this is not a Terry Francona problem. What is he supposed to do in certain situations? James Karinczak aside, James Karinczak was a bad call. Bad call. Guardians are going to have to make a trade for a catcher. Guardians are going to have to figure out what to do with the bullpen. They're lucky they are in the AL Central. They are lucky they're playing teams like the White Sox this week. Take advantage of these two situations. That to be said, the Guardians have to prove a lot with bullpen and catcher in these next few weeks. The bullpen is shredded and the catcher situation is dire. Can't go on much longer with either situation. Check out BelieveInTheLand.com. Check out at Official Cleveland Sports on Instagram. Check out Believe in the Land on YouTube. That's where you're seeing this right now. Keep watching. We'll be there on every game starting tonight against the White Sox. Should the Guardians fans like myself have hope? Yes, but hold your breath. There's finally, finally some real issues. Even I, who believe, believe in the land. Even I'm having a hard time believing in the Guardians right now. It's tough. I'm broken. That series, that loss against the Mets broke me. That was a terrible thing to watch as a fan. Because I don't like Francisco Lindor as a fan. I don't like how he left. I don't like how he's trotting around the bases. And he owned the Guardians this weekend. Have a good week. Be back on next Sunday night.